Did you enjoy the music today? I know I did, yeah. Thank you guys so much. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. Well, hopefully you've got your Bible and hopefully you have your handout. Uh, new little thing I've been putting on the back. There's a little puzzle on the back. Do you notice that? There's a puzzle on the back, so later on this, this afternoon you can kind of work on that puzzle, help you meditate through these verses is what that's designed for. April showing she's already got hers done. <laughs> that's good. You can't do it wrong, so... <laughs> But uh, I think we find out that meditation, you know, even secular companies now are pushing meditation. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but you can get an app for your phone that helps you to meditate. And basically what they mean by meditate is to empty your mind. And you hear this a lot with different exercise routine, routines, especially yoga. Yoga is a very good way to exercise, very good way to stretch, but there's a component that's not often taught in a lot of the yoga classes that is a spiritual. It, yoga is actually a religion, part of a religion. And so they, they tend to try to tell you to empty your mind. The trouble with an empty mind is like any vacuum. It's going to be filled with something. Christian meditation, on the other hand, says to fill your mind with the Word of God and then live your life according to that. So that's the idea behind the little puzzle. It's just to give us a little more time to uh, meditate on God's Word and to see how the sentences and everything fit together. And of course, on the front side is kind of our outline for today. We've been talking about the book of Hebrews. Have you been enjoying the book of Hebrews? Please, I hope you say yes. <laughs> I, hope you, I hope you've been enjoying the book of Hebrews. This is a fantastic book, and it only gets better. And uh, yet there's these warnings that come up occasionally, and today is one of those warning times where it comes up. This time and the next time I preach, uh, we'll be talking about this particular warning. By the way, I will be gone next week. We're actually taking, I'm taking a week of vacation the following week, so... I won't be here, we won't be here Sunday, but Jake is going to fill in. And, uh, but then the following week, I'll be back with the second part of this warning. And uh, I don't know, but I always look forward to Jake preaching. I'm, I'm going to be sad that I won't be here to see it. But uh, he'll do a great job. But then we'll be back to the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's, to me, it's just a fascinating book. It's, it's a book that describes Jesus in no other way. Uh, no, no other book describes him in this way because he is better, he is greater, he is more magnificent. Jesus is more wonderful than anything else that compares. He's better than the prophets of old. He's a better prophet. He's a mightier than the mighty angels. He is greater than Moses and all that law that came with Moses, the Ten Commandments, and everything that the Jews revered for so many years, he is greater than that. He is even greater than Joshua, the person who took the people of Israel into the land and, and con you know, conquered that land. 
He gives a better rest is what the book of Hebrews says. There is a rest that comes in trusting in Jesus Christ that we get from nowhere else. It means that he has provided everything for our salvation and we merely just bask kind of in that glow and rest in that. And there's great strength in that as well. As a result, the writer of the book of Hebrews has already told us not to neglect this salvation lest we drift away from it. There is a very real fear that he has that some of these Hebrews are drifting away from the faith. They are encountering persecution. They're encountering different kinds of troubles. And he's afraid that they're going to drift, drift away. They're not keeping the, their eye on the ball, right? And when you don't keep your eye on the ball, you're going to be messed up somehow. And so he says, do not neglect your salvation. Do not harden your hearts, just like the people did when they entered into the wilderness and they wandered in the wilderness. And he says, don't go back. You cannot go back to old ways of doing things in Judaism. You must go forward with Christ. Jesus, only Jesus is the one who gives rest for our souls. And through him, we can come to God with confidence. Jesus, Jesus is the only source of eternal salvation. Amen? Amen. So there's no other place to go except to Jesus. And so we follow him. Wherever he takes us, we will follow him. And so that's kind of where we have left off, that Jesus is the only source of, high, of eternal salvation. He, he is so because he is a high priest who intercedes for us like no human priest could do. And so come to our scripture today. Scripture is Hebrews 5, 11, 6 through 3. And so we'll go ahead and read that. Let's stand. Get the circulation going again. And uh, read this interesting, to say the least, section of scripture. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. He's been talking about Jesus and Melchizedek, this priest who had come actually before Jesus, but he was a type of the Jesus that was to come to be a priest. He says, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to go through this scripture today. We pray that you would open our eyes and help it to have meaning for us, the meaning that you intended for it to have, that we would understand and grow wiser because of this scripture, that we would not only grow wiser, but that we must go on to maturity. 
we must go on to maturity. It's an imperative that we do that. We pray that you would help us in this, that you would empower us to do this, and that you would cause us to be the people that you have asked us to be. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, once again, we, we keep in mind as we're going through the book of Hebrews that he is speaking to a broad audience. Yes, they are Hebrews, but it's very, very likely in this group of people who receive this letter or this sermon that there are people who are Jews and they have possibly never given their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but they're in this community of Hebrews, of Jews. And then obviously there's going to be some who have heard about Jesus Christ and they have embraced him as Lord and Savior. And yet they're going through some difficult times. It's, it's well known that in the book of Hebrews that the recipients of the letter are going through difficult times. And we'll see that, I believe, in chapter 11 where uh, it says that they gladly gave up their freedoms in order to help their other brothers who were uh, actually in prison. And so, uh, so we got to keep in mind that he's speaking to all of those different groups. He's even speaking to Jews who are unconverted and have not heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ nor responded to it. But his main issue, I think, today here as he's writing is that the author, he wants to go deeper in his teaching about Jesus and Melchizedek but he can't because these Hebrews are too immature to understand what he has to say. That's the problem. That's why he's kind of stopping and giving this warning and it's kind of like a parenthesis in a paragraph. He's going on, he's talking about Jesus, he's talking about Melchizedek, and then he stops and he says, I'd like to go further, but I can't go further right now because you are not, in, you're not mature enough. You're, you're drinking this milk and milk is good, but it's not caused you to grow up in the faith. It's not caused you to mature. And so he sees signs of immaturity in their life. And so here are some of those. I thought we'd list some of those as we go down through this scripture. First of all, he says that they are dull of hearing. They are dull of hearing. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind. A lot of things come to mind when I think of dull, but... Uh, Maybe I think of boring or something, that, but I don't think that's what he's thinking about here. He's talking about their senses have been dampened down, that they are hearing the words that are coming out, but they're not gaining the understanding. It's like going in one ear and out the other. Have you ever heard that expression? You speak to somebody, maybe you're asking your spouse for the remote, and it goes in one ear and right out the other. They have deep, their sense of hearing has been desensitized. And that's kind of what these people are like. They, their hearing of the word of God has become desensitized. And in a very real sense, they are a danger to themselves because of that. Just like a dull knife can be more dangerous than a sharp knife, right? You're trying to cut with that dull knife and it just will not cut. And then finally it slips and it ends up cutting you, all right? Then it's real sharp all of a sudden. But they are slow to truly hear and understand the message. And by implication, they have been slow to obey. You know, that's when the word becomes dull to us. 
and it becomes hard for us to listen to is when we're not obedient to it. If you, if you will become obedient to the word, all of a sudden, every word you receive from God is exciting, right? Because you need that. You need that confirmation. You need that strength from him that for me to make this act of faith and this act of obedience, I'm going to have to be trusting God to do this. And when he sees me through, I want to hear more and more and more of him. But if you're not being disobedient, if the words are just going in one ear and out the other, there's no need for you really to hear from God because you're not going to do it anyway and it's not going to be exciting to you. It, it, it's evident to me that it's not exciting to them because they're not teaching others. They're not passing other, this information on to other people. And really all of us are teachers of some kind, right? <laughs> we are all teaching somebody something. If you have kids, you're teaching kids by your actions. If you have grandkids, you're teaching them by your actions. If you have co-workers, you're teaching them by your actions. The question is, are we teaching the right thing? Are we teaching the right thing? And he wants to make sure that they are teaching the right thing. Not, uh, and so our, the question that we ask ourselves here, I think, is are we setting a good example? Are we teaching by setting a good example? Apparently they were not. It seems as though they were, when he's talking about the different kinds of food, he's talking about milk and solid food. When he's talking about the milk, it's as though this is something that really satisfies them but it keeps them from going on to solid food. Uh, rather than teaching other people, they continually need milk, meaning the elementary, elementary teachings about Christ. So rather than they do the, doing the teaching, they're constantly wanting to have others teach them, right? So we've heard the story about how do you feed a man? Well, you teach him to fish, right? You teach him to fish. You don't just catch fish for him, but you teach him to fish. I think we're seeing kind of that here. Uh, people should be teaching, but they're too caught up in being taught themselves. And the only thing they're being taught are the elementary doctrines of Christ. Now, are the elementary doctrines of Christ important? Absolutely. <laughs> he even mentions that they're the foundation. He says, we're not gonna go again and lay a foundation of repentance and on and on and on. But these elementary doctrines that he's talking about are the foundations of our faith. It talks about repentance from dead works, faith toward God, uh, washing instructions about washings, which could be baptisms you know what is the difference between the baptism of john the baptism of jesus the laying on of hands could refer to the work of the holy spirit because often they would lay hands on people and they would receive the, the holy spirit the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment these are all foundational teachings that we need to know and we need to have firm convictions about right we need to have firm convictions about these 
It seems as though these people, these immature people, did not have firm convictions, but maybe were tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Maybe that's their problem. And they constantly have to have these things reinforced to them. But the writer of the book of Hebrews wants them to persevere through these difficult times, He's saying even though this foundational information is very, very important, it's essential, it's not going to be enough for you to persevere in your faith to the end. There's more that you need to learn. Perseverance requires that we add to the milk solid food. Milk is easily digestible, but it never will completely complete our progress in becoming like Christ. The writer is wanting them to persevere, and so he must teach them the deeper things of the faith. And that is what he says he will do. We will do this if God permits. And after the second part of this warning, he does go back and he starts teaching them about Melchizedek and the temple sacrifices, the tabernacle sacrifices. And so he does do that. And so the sign of their immaturity is this constant need to be taught by someone else uh, the same things over and over and over again. They become like adult babies and they become the focus sometimes, right? <laughs> A picture, picture, or well, picture me up here in a diaper. <laughs> no, no. Picture any of us in a diaper. <laughs> no, I mean, picture someone who is supposed to be an adult acting like a baby, only drinking milk. I mean, if I only drank milk, I'd be even heavier than what I am now. <laughs> it, is not a, it is not a pleasant sight. And it's not a pleasant sight to the writer of the Hebrews. He wants them to persevere. He knows that they're going to come up even tougher times, and they're going to be persecuted. Some of them are going to be put to death, and he wants them to persevere to the end, and babies would not persevere to the end. But a grown adult in the faith will persevere to the end. Rule number one, never come up with illustrations on the fly. <laughs> I thought about using Dave, and I thought, no, that's not fair. <laughs> so they lack, this, they lack this ability to teach. And because of that, as a result, they are not skilled in using the word of righteousness right? They're almost dangerous with the Word of God. They know just enough to be a little bit dangerous about the Word of God. They lack discernment in even determining what is right and wrong because he says you need to go on to this level of maturity where you can know the difference between what right or wrong. And I think this is rampant in Christianity in the United States. There is an immaturity of where people do not know the basic things that are right and wrong. And I'm not afraid to stand up here like some people are apparently to say, afraid to say that homosexuality is a sin. It is a sin. Transgenderism is a sin. Adultery, fornication, living with someone outside of marriage, having sex outside of marriage is a sin. It seems as though 
almost in the Christian church we've accepted that, but the Word of God still talks about it. Gossip is a sin. Spreading lies is a sin. And on and on and on we go. And some people I know, you know, accuse Christians of all you want to do is talk about sin, but it's the sin that is the black background for the diamond of God's grace, right? <laughs> it shows us just how wonderful God's grace is. And so we must understand sin and what it is. That's why I said earlier that in our nation, the prophecy of Paul has come true that we tend to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. I'm not talking about us personally, but Christianity in the United States. He says that we are to no longer be children. Fits, this is from Ephesians, right? But he's using the same language as the writer of the book of Hebrews. So no longer may we be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. That's almost Hebrews language, right? He's using the metaphor of a baby. He's using the metaphor of waves and drifting off to sea by every wind of doctrine, by cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. And that last part just shows that we have an enemy who would love for us to stay as babies. He can't take our salvation away, but he would love us to stay as babies and ineffective in this world. Paul also says the time's coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Could stamp USA right over that. United States Christianity, for the most part, picks its own teachers, picks the teachers that they like, picks the teachers that make them feel good. I hope at least occasionally I step on your toes and make you feel a little bit bad. Heather's <laughs> going, yeah, you do. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing my job because there's, you know, just to be honest between us guys, there's a danger. I've been here almost seven years now. I like you guys. <laughs> and so it's, it's tempting for me to preach in a way that you will like me back. But that's not my job. That's not my job. My job is to be honest with you from God's word. And so go on to maturity, go on to maturity. I like the way he says it in verse six. He says, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrines and go on to authority. He brings himself, let us all go on to maturity. What would a mature Christian look like and how, what is the remedy? Well, his remedy is very straightforward. It's not a six week class <laughs> with videos. He, he just merely says, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instructions and washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. 
And he doesn't. He doesn't go back over those again. He never does in the book of Hebrews go back over those elementary principles. He just says, go on, grow up. We're not going to go over these again and feed your uh, whatever it is you get out of hearing these over and over again, but we're going to grow up and quickly. You need to grow up quickly. Move on from the basics of Christianity. Learn what is right and what is wrong so that you can be effective in this world. So I just kind of took the opposite of what we've talked about as far as what would a mature Christian look like. And this may not be exhaustive, but it's kind of the contrast of what he's given to us in the first part. And so a mature Christian would not be content where they are spiritually, right? We should never be content. There's always another level of maturity for us to go to. We feel sorrow for our sin and we're quick to confess sin and to repent of it. We are eager to put into practice the word of God and to hear the word of God, just like the Bereans, right? Remember when the Bereans received the word of God? They were more noble than the Thessalonians and they received the word of God and they went back through the Old Testament to check to make sure it was true. And so they were enthusiastic about God's word. They were the ones that you would see in the sanctuary taking notes, paying praying for direction and full of energy, all about the word of God. A mature Christian would be teaching others and do it so with joy. And you might say, well, I'm not a teacher. I've not been called by the church to teach. I'm not on the leadership role. I go back again. We are all teachers in one aspect or another. We don't, you don't have to be a Sunday school teacher or a Bible school teacher in order to be a teacher. We are all teachers in one sense. We are all disciples of Jesus Christ and our goal is to make other disciples. And so in one sense, these who are immature, they're not making disciples, but we are to make disciples and those who are mature will be making disciples. Sharing with God what God is teaching them with others being accountable and having accountability partners helps in this maturity. We must have firm convictions about the gospel and about sin. In other, in other words, this foundational belief that he's not going to cover, we need to cover that and settle it in our minds so that when someone comes along and tells us different, we say, no, that's not what the word of God says because I've looked it up and I know what it says about repentance. I know that I'm supposed to repent of all my sin, receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior. So we need to have those as firm convictions, never leaving the foundation. It's, it's always important that we have that foundation, but there are other things that help answer life questions as well. And we need to know those as well. Why do good people suffer? Why are there tsunamis in Indonesia that wipe out 200,000 people? People have those questions. When you talk to them and they, you try to tell them about Christianity, they have questions like that. Now, sometimes it's a dodge 
Sometimes they don't want to talk about their sin, but they will genuinely have questions. And there are answers in the Bible for those. What about the innocent native in Africa who never has an opportunity to hear the gospel? What happens to him? In other words, we need to be challenged by the hard scriptures and the hard cases. One thing about Bible study is it's very easy to always study the parts of the Bible that you like, right? <laughs> we love John 3.16. Jake preached on it with the youth and did so very effectively. But we don't always just focus on John 3.16, right? Some people will say, all we need is Jesus. All, all we need is to love Jesus. And that's true. That's true. That's a foundational fact. But it's not the only thing contained in God's word. God, God is a God of love. He's also a God of wrath. Did you know that? Did you know that the wrath of God will come upon your friends and relatives who do not know Christ? We need to study about those scriptures as well. God created man with free will. I believe that. I believe man lost his free will at the fall. Now he's enslaved to sin. He needs to be freed from that. A sovereign God who truly does have free will has decided that he will free his elect people. We need to take know those difficult scriptures. Go home and read Romans chapter 9 this afternoon and see if that doesn't bring up some questions that need to be answered. We need to be challenged by the hard scriptures so that we have a rounded view of what God is telling us. Right? We need, we need a rounded view, a well-rounded view of God's word. Not just this part here or that part there. So, in closing, don't be content where you are. <laughs> don't be content where you are. There's always a higher level of maturity. And you might say uh, that it's prideful to want a higher level of maturity. It's not, it's not prideful because a higher level of maturity means we are only more equipped to serve other people, right? We understand that about Scripture. That maturity in the Christian life relates to servanthood. <laughs> if you are mature, you are going to be a more dedicated servant than someone who is not. People need you to be mature. These young folks coming up, our, our youth group, children's church, they need us to be mature for them. Number two way of, of how you can help yourself and we can help ourselves is open yourself up to self-examination versus scripture. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. We are to examine ourselves as part of our Lord's Supper to examine ourselves to see if there's any sin in our life 
that we need to confess and repent before God. So that's the way we mature. We make mistakes, right? We make mistakes, we correct the mistakes, and we mature. Finally, develop firm convictions for which you would die. Yep, you heard me say that right. Develop firm convictions for which you die. Some things in the, in the American church we can differ on, right? We can differ on the way that other churches may do things, does things somewhat different than what we do. But if they are a true Christian church, if they do not place baptism as a means of salvation, then we are brothers and sisters with them. We may do things different, but we're part of the same church. Paul said this, and actually did this at Bernadine's funeral. But he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to those who loved his appearing. Testimony of a life well lived, of a mature man, ready to leave and go with the Lord, ready to pass his ministry off to Timothy, and he never looked back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to look at your word and to talk very frankly about it and Father I pray that you would use what words have been said to instruct our people to move on to maturity to not be satisfied languishing in childhood but to take steps today to move forward in their maturity and if that means stepping forward and making a commitment to join the church, then that, if it means receiving Christ for the first time, I pray for that as well. But for many of us, it may mean just getting uncomfortable again. And it's easy in our culture to get comfortable and not to step out in faith or only step out in faith with steps we know are sure to land on, firm, on a firm place. We need to sometimes get ourselves uncomfortable, new, do new things, step out in new ways in order to see growth in our church. So you help us today. It's all in your hands. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.